What's up, my friend? It is your host, ADHD Coach Catherine, welcoming you back to ADHD Powerful Possibilities. This week, we are going to be exploring the emotional toolkit. This is going to bring together all the things we've been talking about from emotional dysregulation to positive emotions to the impact of chronic stress on our bodies and our minds. We're going to bring it all together. I'm going to share something really powerful from Dr. Kathleen Nadeau and we are going to bring it down to what you need to manage your life right now. I want to share something with you. There's a fantastic ADHD coach called Roger DeWitt. He is so funny, so clever, so insightful, and he has a coaching truth. He says, we don't live in the world as it is. We live in the world of our thinking. I would actually take that a bit further and say, we live in the world of our feeling that creates our thoughts. The emotion can lead to our thoughts. If we don't address our emotions, if we're trying to ignore them and we're just focusing on our thoughts, then it's sometimes harder to change what we're thinking because our feeling, our body is saying, I've got this big panicky feeling, something really dangerous is happening. And if that's going on, your body is going to think thoughts that are connected to danger, to bad things. And so I love Roger's quote. And I would say, let's take it further and include the world of our emotions as well. Because until we address that, the world of our thoughts is going to keep us trying to understand why we're experiencing this emotional sensation in our body. And again, go back a few episodes to the one where I talk about the science of an emotion and what's actually happening when you experience it. The last four episodes have all been about exploring the impact of emotions on ADHD and vice versa. So we began by talking about what emotional dysregulation is. We also explored the neuroscience of emotions. What happens when we feel an emotion? Where does that come from? And if you want to go back and go deep into all of this, head back to the episode from the start of February 2024. We talked a bit about things like emotional intelligence, which I'll discuss a bit more just now. And then we looked at the power of positive emotion. Because on the one hand, we talk a lot about stress and feeling stressed and chronic stress is undoubtedly bad for everybody. But the impact of positive emotion is something that we don't spend enough time looking at. We want to feel better. So that's what this episode is all about, how to help you feel better and bringing the tools together that are accessible for you right now. None of this is off limits. It's not being gate kept or gatekept, however you pronounce it. There's no barrier. You choose one and get started. My only request is that you share this episode, that you save it for when you need to come back, download the toolkit, it's going to be released in a couple of days, and make sure you're only choosing one thing at a time to get started with because I know the temptation is to dive in and try and transform your life and then oh my goodness this is a bit overwhelming so pick one thing from the toolkit and then you can let me know how you get on in a couple of weeks let's quickly cover what's happening with emotional dysregulation we are generally experiencing what used to be called amygdala hijack that term is no longer very popular 
but basically our amygdala is the gatekeeper to our brain and it experiences something in our external or internal environment and it says, whoa, there's something we need to respond to here. So you have a fight, flight, freeze or fawn response, which raises your cortisol, raises your adrenaline, gets you ready to take action. And when that happens, you generally find that your emotions are going to come forward and your logical brain that says, I can safely ignore this, that part of your brain steps back because your emotions and your amygdala are intimately connected and they're very, very active. There's some evidence that says people with ADHD have more reactive amygdalas and more reactive nervous systems. This could be a learned response. It may be something that's inherent in our different biology. Uh, in our neurology, something that is ingrained by the way people respond to us and the way we respond to the world. So when you are feeling overwhelmed and your emotions are out of all proportion to what you need them to be in the situation, your amygdala is doing its best to keep you safe. That's what the response is about. And all you can do is grab these tools, implement them slowly one by one. Your emotional toolkit is not about suppressing your emotions. It's not about trying to be neurotypical. It's about feeling better for your own sake. The very first thing we have to do when we're thinking about emotional toolkits is to practice self-awareness. Quite often we experience them physically and if we were maybe told that our emotions weren't safe to experience for whatever reason, we hang on to them in the form of clenched jaws, tight shoulders, churning stomachs, sweaty palms, um, tense necks, aches and pains. If you're experiencing that kind of thing, check in and say, is this an emotion? What am I feeling? You might find, and I know this is difficult for some people with autistic spectrum, and there's a resource from Dr. Megan Neff who talks about emotional awareness and things as well, which I will put a link to in the show notes. Shout out to Dr. Megan Neff. You might want to develop a vocabulary, a list of words about what are you feeling? Because angry and sad are really broad brushes and we might feel indignant. We might feel frustrated. We might feel really hurt, emotionally hurt. And all of those can come can come under the broad brush of anger, right? So spend a bit of time thinking about what am I feeling? Can I be more specific than big words like angry and sad? And, and I'll include that link in the show notes. So that's your first step. Make a note. What am I feeling? How does it show up in my body? And what's it telling me? What's the message? So tool number one is write down when you're experiencing an emotion and give it a name. Because if we don't practice being aware of our emotions, we're not going to know what to do with them. And it might be that writing isn't your strength. So you might want to try making voice notes. There are apps that transcribe it. It's one of the reasons I use Slack sometimes. But there are other ways to do that. Once you've started to become more aware of your emotions and what's going on, how can you explore that further? The first thing I'm going to share is the emotional intelligence framework. 
And if you want to read about it, go get the book by Daniel Goleman. And emotional intelligence gives you the tools to recognize, understand, manage and use our emotions, but in a positive way so that we can learn to relieve our stress. We can undo conflict. We can communicate more effectively, empathize with other people, but with a boundary so we're not getting flooded. And because we have ADHD, we're more likely to experience emotional dysregulation, impulsivity, and that sense of rejection sometimes in our social interactions. So emotional intelligence builds up all of these areas where we might need a bit of extra support. And so when I talked about becoming aware of your emotions, one of the key elements of emotional intelligence is becoming self-aware. And you might want to say, okay, I'm aware of my emotions. And then the next step is to think, okay, how's my ADHD affecting this? Is my reaction affected by my impulsivity? Is it affected by my challenges around time and forward planning? Is it connected to my social skills or the sense of rejection I sometimes experience when other people don't get me or I feel that I'm being excluded? These are all connected with ADHD. And the reason that's important is because it helps you to take a step away from that overwhelming emotion and say, oh, okay, clue, this is an ADHD trait and I'm feeling it in my body, in my heart, wherever you feel your emotions. The second aspect of emotional intelligence that's really helpful is self-regulation. Now, big broad brush, and obviously we can drill down into this more. Basically, this is about managing our reactions and turning them into responses. Very often, we dive in. It's that impulsivity, again, the diving in there, the reacting can often get us into hot water or difficult situations. So in emotional intelligence, we think about adding a pause. How can we create a pause button? And I've got pause resources on my website. How can we learn to respond when we're feeling frustrated and angry? Listen, nobody's going to get it right 100% of the time, but there are ways to recognize that feeling, give it a name. Am I feeling frustrated? Normally, when I feel frustrated, I would go and buy a brownie or a coffee or I would shout at somebody. Whatever your reaction normally is that doesn't serve you, think about what am I going to do instead? But we can't do that unless we pause and identify that emotion first. Then we need to add better coping strategies that are in line with our situation, our long term vision, our goals for ourselves and also what we need in that moment. So things like adding a pause button and then having a go to tool. And a few episodes back, I mentioned something called the birthday cake breath, where you breathe in through your nose, like you're inhaling the scent of a lovely cake from the oven. I'm doing an inhale for you. And then you breathe out because you're blowing out your birthday cake candles. And that kind of in the moment tool is connected to mindfulness but it's short, swift, and easy to hang on to when you feel that and your jaws gritted and you know, you're feeling all the frustration. So we've got self-awareness, we've got self-regulation, and then we move on to motivation. Emotional intelligence encourages us to use our emotions for positive action. 
And with ADHD, that is so important. People talk about it being an interest-driven nervous system. I think interest is good, but it's actually the magic happens when it's our passion, when it lines up with our strengths, which you can get from the VIA character strengths. And then you bring in your interests. Then you maybe recruit some of your values, some of the things that really get your motor going. Then you've got a passion and that is going to be something that is almost effortless. And that is powered by emotion. So in your emotional toolkit, think about where is my motivation coming from? Do I know what my strengths are? Do I know what my values and my passions are? How can I use that to drive me forward? And I'm much more fond of the carrot than the stick. It's easier to get a donkey to go towards a carrot than it is to beat it with a stick. And it's certainly much more fun. And I do not approve of animal cruelty. This is just an example, an analogy. And when you understand that, you can have something in your toolkit for when you're dealing with a job that you don't particularly want to do. And you can think, oh, how can I recruit one of my strengths? Where is this connected with my long-term passion, with my goals, what I want to do in life, who I want to be? And who you want to be is much easier to pursue than what you want to do or what you want to have. The next step in your emotional intelligence framework is empathy. I find that people have too much empathy because we don't have very good boundaries. If you're somebody who has too much empathy, your toolkit might want to include some boundary making. And finally, with emotional intelligence, there's a lot of focus on social skills. We've covered elements of that before, but for your toolkit, I want you to think about where do I find social skills challenging? Do I need to change them? Is it a question of finding a different garden, a different tribe? Or are my social interactions difficult or draining because there's an element of me that is not being nourished, that I'm not listening to? Am I ignoring something that I really need to do well? And that comes into my next example. So that I feel good enough to engage with other people. And I see this a lot with clients. People are working so hard. They're maybe in the early stages of starting a business. They're maybe working long hours. And then they wonder why they are socially so challenged. And it's because everything is going out and nothing's coming in. Take a minute and think, what do I need to do for myself? So that's the emotional intelligence framework. And that gives you a, an overall view of how we can use something like that to explore emotions without feeling overwhelmed. But the next thing I'm going to share with you is a game changer. And it's from the expert Dr. Kathleen Nadeau. Now, the word expert is thrown around a lot. I see people calling themselves ADHD experts after doing a 12, 20 hour certificate online. Excuse me. Dr. Kathleen Nadeau is what they call the OG, the original. She is the goat, the greatest of all time. She's one of those academics who has gone from her passion, her study, and taken it out into the world. Dr. Nadeau wrote a book called Still Distracted After All These Years. And it's something that I go back to time and time again. In that book, she shares an acronym for brain healthy habits. 
and I want to share it with you now. I think these are simple enough to remember, but powerful enough to make a real difference. So let's go through each one of them. The acronym is called MENS and each of the letters stands for a habit. So the first is mindfulness, the second is exercise, the third is nature, the fourth is diet, the fifth is sleep, the sixth is social connection. Let's begin with mindfulness and she explains in the book, and this is what started me on my own mindfulness practice, which looks very different to what you might imagine. Mindfulness doesn't have to mean we do long extended practices. It can literally be being mindful of the present moment, being really in it, present, connected, focusing on our senses, focusing on our body, on the place that we are, the time that we are. As humans, we always tend to think in the future or the past. When we are mindful humans, we are in the now. So mindfulness is something that you can build into your day. What changes when we are really present in that moment? And we use the other tools that we've talked about, becoming aware of our emotions and just accepting them. How does that change things? One of the things that really works for mindfulness is creating that space. And it's something that I experienced through coaching and mindfulness. I needed both of those and then medication, but all three of them together allow me to create space in my thoughts. And Dr. Nado uses a quote, which I will share with you. It's attributed to Viktor Frankl and it reads, between stimulus and response, there is space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. I'll read that again. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. If you've listened to a few of these podcasts by now, you might be thinking, Catherine always talks about exercise, she always talks about mindfulness, she talks about sleep. There's a lot of really practical down-to-earth strategies that I share along with the ADHD information. But the reason I provide all of that is for exactly those two reasons, growth and freedom. When we're able to live in a way that is in line with our physical and mental needs, with our emotional needs, we experience growth. And when we have that, we have true freedom. And that's what we all want, ultimately, one way or another, however you define freedom. And one of the ways to achieve that is through mindfulness. And that's because the space in between is the present moment. And when we practice mindfulness, we inhabit the present moment. The second part of men's is exercise. I talk about it all the time. Walking for me is connected to freedom. It takes you anywhere you want to go and it is a powerful regulatory exercise. Quite often, if I've been having trouble thinking something through, if I go for a walk and think about it, I can come up with a solution. You might also have experienced that it's easier to talk to somebody when you're on a walk. And there's evidence that the pattern of our steps, the left, right, left, right, the rhythm and the cross body action actually helps us to process and to think better. And although when we think about exercise in ADHD, we often think of aerobic exercise because there's great evidence on 
the impact of that on our prefrontal cortex, on our attention. There is some evidence that strength training also has an impact on our prefrontal lobes, our prefrontal cortex. And the third element is nature. Nature, as much as you can get, as often as you can get, especially if you're feeling emotionally dysregulated, if you are feeling tired, and we all know the impact that fatigue and tiredness has on our emotional regulation. The one caveat I would give, and this is also included in the book, is try not to be checking in with your connection to the outside world while you're having your break. A lot of clients have told me, oh, I go for a walk every day. And what do you do in your walk? I take the walk, I take the dog, and stick my headphones in and I listen to a podcast. And when we discuss how restored that makes them feel, the answer is equivocal because our brain is not disengaged. Our brain is somewhere else. Our body is enjoying the greenery, the nature, but our brain is still on work time. Experiment for me. Go for one walk with a podcast with your phone in your pocket and then go for another walk without your podcast. Take your phone if you want to for safety, but try not to do anything else while you're out for a walk. Compare the two and then let me know how they feel. The next one, of course, is diet and nutrition are crucial for all humans. All bodies need really good quality nutrition. We can't always access it in terms of economy, accessibility. But with ADHD, we know that the risks for our long-term health are higher. Diabetes, heart disease, the problems that come with that impulsivity, that difficulty planning, the not being hungry all day, then being very hungry at night. The evidence is that we struggle more to manage a healthy, balanced diet. That doesn't mean one extreme or the other, but that balance is more difficult for us. And yet it's crucial for your brain to get the nutrition that you need. And I would say that I recorded a couple of episodes about food and ADHD way back. I will include links to them. But the the impulsivity, the addictive tendency, the complications of eating disorders and ADHD are not to be discounted. And I know that some people find with medication their, shall we say, snack habit improves. For many of us it doesn't or it does temporarily and then it wears off. Please don't beat yourself up about this. Please don't feel bad. This is a known element of ADHD and standard advice isn't just going to cut it for you. There are some fantastic ADHD informed nutritionists out there and if you have a look around, look for people who are experienced, who are giving you moderate advice, who are accepting, compassionate and who are supportive. I've got some resources that are nearly ready all about organising meal planning, how to include things when you have people with ARFID or other restrictions in the family and I will include them very soon. But for now, focus on making sure you're getting the right vitamins and minerals that you need. See a nutritionist, go to your doctor, make sure that your bloods are okay, but don't beat yourself up about it. The next element in the men's framework is sleep. I love sleep, but as a menopausal woman, it has not been my friend for many years now. And I don't want to underestimate how difficult it is for us to get sleep. Many people with ADHD rely on melatonin because there are neurobiological challenges to getting to sleep, staying asleep. And then of course there's the 
pattern that habit forms whether we can't get to sleep and then we know we're not going to get to sleep you get the picture but we know that sleep is crucial for brain health and brain health is crucial for improved ADHD and emotional management but you can improve your sleep and one of the most simple things you can do is I know you're going to hate me leave the phone outside your bedroom make sleep as enticing as it possibly can be we talk a lot about revenge procrastination bedtime procrastination if you are not meeting a need during the day for that time to just be hopefully the mindfulness element will help you to be present throughout the day so that occurs less but at the end of the day when you're putting off going to bed see if you can pause and catch yourself what do I really need right now do I need rest do I need just to switch my brain off and be for a little while and is scrolling through TikTok really going to do that for me and Dr Nado's book still distracted after all these years has a fantastic selection of simple tools that you can bring in for the sleep support including my favorite chamomile tea and a really good book but make your bedtime as attractive as it possibly can be because we want to make the thing that you are putting off more attractive than the thing that you're doing right now that's a really simple way to think about it how can you make it as lovely as possible do you need fresh sheets do you need nice jammies and finally social connections social connections can be challenging for many of us especially if we have experienced some rejection if we maybe feel a bit out of touch we feel a bit awkward and so we isolate ourselves but human beings need social connections and social connections in so many studies are shown to be crucial for your long-term emotional health and for aging well i could go through that entire book and every single thing in there is literally golden so if you don't have still distracted after all these years please get it please read it maybe we could have a book group would you like that we could have a book group to go through the book together and discuss it i just think it's such a powerful book for people of all ages but over 50s are the fastest growing group of people being diagnosed with ADHD and life is different for us right some of us are working some of us have young children or teenagers some of us have grandchildren some of us are retired and some of us i would say a large number of us are starting new businesses if you're over 50 and you're starting a new business and you have ADHD you are not alone you are part of a growing group of Gen X ADHD late diagnosed people who are somehow not quite ready to get the slippers and the pipe and settle down not that there's anything wrong with that but if that's you i really recommend this book i really recommend making sure you get my emotional toolkit and stay connected to team bob and all the rest of us and next week i get to share a really special guest and i hope after discussing the book you know who that's going to be now let's look at our toolkit and i'm going to include a link in the show notes where you can sign up for the waitlist if the waitlist isn't there there may be a direct link when i get things put together in a way that pleases me because i'm offering this as something that makes me smile and i want you to smile when you see it too so there will be different formats but you can either sign up to the waitlist or you can download it 
And the tools that we're going to go through are, I guess some people might feel offensively simple, but simple isn't easy. There's a fantastic trainer and coach called Susan Nebergal, who she always says it's simple, but it's not easy. And that is basically my mantra too. These are simple. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but they are powerful when we use them. So tool number one is name it to tame it. I didn't invent this. It's quite common. But when we're not aware of our emotions and we're not paying attention to what we're feeling and giving it a name, identifying it, when we're not identifying our emotions and naming them specifically, it's much, much harder to address them. The second tool you want to look at is something to track your emotions. This is especially important if you have a hormonal cycle and the next four episodes are all going to be about the impact of hormones and ADHD on women and girls. But if you're not tracking your emotions, how do you know what you're experiencing? And I say this because I know it's difficult for me to have a long-term view of what my emotional temperature is. Am I permanently running hot? Am I actually feeling quite blue? Am I somewhere in the middle? Am I balancing things out enough? Unless I track them, I can't see them. And so you want to use a tool that works for you. For some people, it's a simple notebook or a diary. Some people like Google Docs or spreadsheets. Some people like Notion templates. There is a fantastic app, which I am playing with just now, called Thruddy, as in Thursday, but the wrong way around. And the reason, and this isn't an ad or anything, I'm playing with it because what I love is it combines two very powerful things for me. One is a visual layout of my day ahead, my week even, so I can see where the time is, I can block it in as big or small an amount as I need to. But it also allows you to track your emotions. And at the moment it's quite broad, but I know that is in development. And then you can share it with somebody. So it could be your partner, it could be your parents, whoever is working with you, you can share how you're feeling. And I think that is incredibly powerful. So that app is called Thruddy and I will include a link to it in the show notes. So there's another way that you can track your emotions and it has a bonus of being able to plan out your day. With any of these tools, accept that you're going to get bored of them. You might need to make them sparkly and refresh them. So don't worry if they suddenly, in quotes, stop working. Just we need to shake things up and get them interesting again. The third tool that you want to have in your emotional toolkit is some form of mindfulness or meditation. When you're thinking about meditation and mindfulness, make sure that it's one that allows you to stay in the moment and not dwell on things too much. Practice being present but maybe use guided meditations rather than things that allow your mind to wander on its own too much. We have a well-trodden path sometimes that can take us in the wrong direction. So mindfulness meditations that are narrated, Kristen Neff, the mindfulness, the fierce self-compassion mindfulness teacher has free resources, which I will include a link to. And you can get ones that are for people with ADHD. And I will include references to those as well. The fourth tool is one that I resisted for a long time, 
but is scientifically proven to be effective. So of course I resist it. And that is the combination of gratitude journaling and savoring. These are both tools from positive psychology. Gratitude journaling can be as complicated or as simple as I sit down, I write three moments or three things that I am grateful for having experienced or that I appreciated during the day. And savoring is when I take time to actually really love the moment that I'm in, the experience I'm having. And I think, how would I explain this to, say, my coach or my best friend who wasn't there? Can I tell them what it looks like, what it smells like, what I can hear, what I can feel? And obviously you don't need to make it a formal exercise, but just having that, oh my goodness, this moment, this experience is fabulous. And tucking it away in your memory bank allows your positive emotions to build up. And in the last episode, we talked about the power of positive emotions over time to improve our emotional regulation and our physical well-being as well. The fifth tool you might want to include is ear or emotional acuity resonance. This is an idea that I am playing with and sharing with you early on. It's not fully formed, but I love the idea that the sensitivity many people with ADHD have around emotions can become one of our genuine strengths. We can use it to improve our self-understanding and then use that to improve how we understand others. But to develop this emotional acuity resonance, the thing that you could begin to do just now is active listening. So active listening isn't just nodding your head and things. You are completely focusing on the person who you are listening to. You're really taking the time and the energy to understand what they're saying, what is behind the story, the message that they're giving you, and then respond with thought rather than just react. And active listening, being really attentive, makes a huge difference to the person you're listening to. And it is, for me, it's a form of mindfulness because I am present in that moment 100%. And finally, Think about the Dr. Nado men's framework. Where are you on each of these elements? Is there one particular thing that you're almost there with, but that you could do more of? Is there something you're completely neglecting? But when you think back, goodness, I felt really good when I did that. How are you going to track those? Again, adapt this to your preferred modality. Is it a whiteboard? Is it a notebook? Is it an app? Is it a scorecard on your calendar? I have discovered reward charts that people used to use for kids. They never worked for us and I know why now. I should probably talk about that sometime. But I found these old reward stickers and I thought, oh my goodness, I could use that for myself. So I'm doing that just now, giving myself a sticker because I'm working on getting to sleep early and giving myself time to do a little bit of mindfulness every day. But think about how you can make your interaction with that framework meaningful and easy for you. You can email me or leave a comment or reply and let me know, are you a notebook person, an app person, what works for you? And again, remember, we need to keep it sparkly. 
if it stops, in quotes, working, just use something else. There's no reward for being so consistent that you stop doing something. So I've created this emotional toolkit, which is mainly for people with ADHD, but frankly, the things that work for ADHD work really well for most people. So this toolkit is my way of sharing the things that I know will help you, that have helped me, and that I continue to work on and grow and develop. The Emotional Toolkit is my way of sharing with you all of the information that I've gathered together and it's for you to play with. Okay, this isn't a prescription. I'm not a doctor or a counsellor or a therapist. But I hope that you have found this month's journey through emotional dysregulation and neurobiology, positive emotions and the impact of chronic stress, all of these things. I hope it's been really helpful. I hope you've learned something useful from it. And I would love it if you could share with me or with other people in the community what has changed for you. What insight have you got? You can either uh, leave a comment on social media. You can use the hashtag Team Bulb. That's where we're hanging out. And I want to remind you that next week we have a, my very first and incredibly special guest, Dr. Kathleen Nadeau. And we also have a series looking specifically at ADHD in women and at different points in our life. So everything from puberty through to menopause and beyond, because we don't suddenly stop existing when estrogen leaves the building. And although women are a mere 51% of the population, there's going to be enough in there that the other 49% of the population will also find it valuable. Make sure that you have subscribed. Share this episode if you want other people to know about the toolkit. You can use these today, right? Let me know which one are you going to use today. And then come back to keep going with me as we learn more about ADHD and we keep looking at what is possible with ADHD. I'm ADHD Coach Catherine. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please share it if it's been useful to you and I look forward to you joining me next week.